Hi, this is Peter from Suitseo Orchestra, and you're listening to Concerts That Made Us. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. To the podcast, concerts that made us interviews and stories, tales from the bus. We love taking you back to when it all went down. The greatest live shows and that cheering crowd sound. It's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. On this episode, I'm joined by Peter Hendricks, the man behind Suits Air Orchestra. Suits Air Orchestra are releasing their new album, The Last Black Flower, on the 4th of February. I recommend you all check it out. Peter has a long history when it comes to music, having played in bands that share the stages with some pretty big names. And you're going to hear all about it and much, much more. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Smelling concrete 
Peter, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you now. I'm looking forward to diving into your music for the next bit. We opened the show with The Gleaming of Beryl. It's off your new album, The Last Black Flower, which is released on the 4th of February. Can you tell us a bit about the track? Yes, well, it's a track that was um, written by uh, my good friend Harm. Uh, it's the first track that I've worked together with somebody for the specific Soothsayer Orchestra uh, project. It's the first album I've did everything myself. And um, and so this was the first time he sent me some uh, acoustic guitar parts uh, out of the blue and saying, hey, this might be something for you to do some vocals over. So uh, yeah, I messed around with it and uh, yeah, it just came together very smoothly. And um, that was also the first track that I really lyrically did something else, like more personal, more, uh, yeah. So it's more to the heart kind of song instead of yeah, the dark kind of stuff that I've uh, written about on my first album. So yeah, it's, it's a sensitive track for me because uh, yeah, it's so, uh, lays bare my uh my my i don't know how you say it, emotions or whatever you know straight from the heart from the heart that's the right thing yeah speaking of the first album you kind of secluded yourself in the middle of a dark forest to write that what was the process like for this album uh, for this album well i had a very clear concept in mind what I wanted to do or what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to rewrite my first album. So I have that space in the forest in Germany where I can go. Um, but I thought, well, I've done that. I catch that vibe already on the first album. And I really wanted to do something different things, approach everything different. So lyrics and uh, music as well. So, um, yeah. And then the pandemic hit. So yeah, looking back, uh, I've only realized that when I finished mixing the album, that this whole new album is kind of like a documentation about uh, that period in my life. Uh, and I think a lot of people, maybe especially my age, can relate to uh, to certain things, to certain vibes uh, that, I, um, that I wrote about and sing about. Some might describe it as kind of dark and downbeat, but at the same time, it's exciting. And it's one of them rare, you know, dark kind of albums that, although it's dark, it's not depressing, you know. <laughs> How did you go about setting the atmosphere musically? Well, it, it just all comes very naturally. So I don't think, uh, I, I don't listen to a band and think, oh, I need to write in that genre or in that vibe it's just when i pick up a guitar or sit behind a piano or do whatever that's just what comes out so uh yeah i don't know it's just uh comes from somewhere i think and uh yeah i don't know some people can be good at football and i suck at sports but i can play <laughs> an instrument <laughs> <laughs> and you know when you're writing such music such lyrics how does it affect you mentally yeah, well that's a that's a very early on in this interview that we touched this subject <laughs> but that's mainly what this new album is about it's about uh yeah the mental state of mind that i went through and uh i was at a point that i really wanted to change certain things in my life and uh 
uh, yeah, it was I had a hard time dealing with that, and uh, it was a slow, uh, very slow process, and uh, sometimes also very, uh, yeah, not depressing, but you know, can get sometimes can get a little bit dark, uh, especially in the pandemic times. And you are at home, and you have a lot of time to think, and you have you have not much room to think because you know I have kids and I have a wife, and uh, although I love them very much, the house is very small when you need to stay inside the house so yeah it was just i think uh just a release you know and then the times that i could sit um and write and uh that's just uh what came out i think it's like a, a therapy kind of thing mm. yeah yeah now that that time is over then i have to ask what sort of music do you think will come out of you in the future and more i don't know <laughs> well i i really don't like happy music so uh, really at, no i don't <laughs> think i own one record that has like uh happy songs on it i just very tend to gravitate towards uh melancholic uh dark kind of stuff i like that in, in every genre be like uh i don't know like for instance jazz like i love miles davis but i love the bitches brew album of mm. miles davis which is you know it's really so weird stuff and um yeah and i think uh also in hip-hop music i like the very extreme dark stuff and not like the happy will smith kind of uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's just my taste and i think um it's also uh maybe in uh just a release you know i can mm. have i have those that side of me and that comes out in in the music ah i see i see and what do you hope you know both new and old listeners will get from this record uh well um i've let the um i sent the, the album to a couple of people and i said you just really listen to it on your headphones or take the time to to really because it's a it's an album it's not like all the songs match together like a puzzle and i really thought about everything very well and i wrote a lot of songs and just this the selection of songs that tell the story really so it's a i consider it really a journey and um it's a very dynamic journey so i i what would be the most biggest compliment i could get is that somebody i don't know tells me yeah i sat down and i really listened to the whole album and i understand what you're trying to to say or do and i catch the vibe that you're trying to set and uh yeah just go with that flow that, that would be my biggest compliment but, uh, but i think yeah i don't know if somebody listens to it that would be cool and maybe somebody can get something out of it that would be a huge compliment but so back to recording the first album, one thing I was dying to ask you was what makes you decide on a, you know, a self-imposed solitude to write music? Well, I had to that, uh, that place in the forest and normally we go there uh, on vacation with my wife and my kids and it's very remote. There's like very bad cell uh, reception and um, there's a small creek going next to it and it's uh, just a very beautiful place. And um I had to go there sometimes to work on uh, on the place and um and i brought a guitar or uh, brought some recording gear and it slowly built up when i started doing this uh yeah, songs for this project and it was just that was a very nice place to just 
sit and write on the top of a mountain or bring a guitar and just get everything together. And when I had a couple of songs that I found when I thought, yeah, this could be something like a record or a, a new thing. I just thought, well, what can be the what can be the inspiration or what can be the concept that I can write about and uh, what can be the theme of this album? And yeah, I found that very much there and that record is very much connected to that place and also to the to the journey to that place, like the car drive towards that the place is like two hours from my house. So that's also that journey in the car, listening to some things I recorded at home and sing to it. And yeah, I just, everything comes together on that album. Um, and that place in the forest is just uh, the, yeah, the center of that inspiration. You know, some people might know you more from your history in the hardcore punk scene. You were drummer for such bands as Reaching Forward, Born From Pain and Black Bottle Riot. It's quite different sonically from Suitsayer Orchestra. What led to you making the change and stepping out from behind the kit? Um, yeah, Reaching Forward and Born From Pain are hardcore uh, bands and uh, was in the like the mid 90s early zeros and um after a while it was uh, just a natural change i i don't know i think i always search for uh, something new and i get bored doing the same thing over and over again um so then i came in contact with black bottle ride which is more like a blues uh, rock kind of band and um that was really challenging because uh yeah, it was a whole different kind of thing than punk hardcore drumming. Uh, yeah, so uh, that touched upon my roots. You know, I grew up listening to my dad's record collection, and uh, I played drums since since I was six or something. So uh, yeah, going to that blues thing again was very challenging and very uh, yeah motivating. Um, but uh, then, uh, after a couple of years, uh, kids came into my life, and uh, so I had to quit uh, playing shows every weekend. And uh, yeah, I just really wanted to be here with, for my children, and uh, um, yeah, be a good dad, be responsible. <laughs> so naturally, uh, yeah, it grew into the, the Suitsayer Orchestra thing because I had time. I had no band really. And uh, yeah. And what happens if uh, you want to take this on the road? Then will you be able to? Yeah, my kids are now older <laughs> because it took me a couple of years to uh, to write the first record and now the second record. So uh, yeah, we're planning. I have a, like I have a band now, uh, and um, and that sounds really good. And uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really inspired and motivated to do it. So uh, yeah, we're hoping to do more live things in the in the in the future mm -hmm. ah, good to hear good to hear we'll dive into your own personal history now when it comes to music can you remember your earliest musical memory yeah, my dad he was a drummer in a hippie band um and my parents are both very uh, uh musical people so there were always instruments everywhere and uh and my dad was a drummer so every night when i went to bed uh, my dad would practice the drums and that would be underneath my uh, 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 the room I was sleeping in. So 
I could always only fall to sleep when he was practicing the drums. And every Monday night he had practice outside the house and then he wouldn't be there. And then I would have a hard time falling asleep and I would call for my mom like, where's, where's daddy? I can, why is he not playing the drums? Um, so that's my, I think that's my earliest yeah, memory of, uh, of, of music and, Jeez, I think you might be like the only person on the planet who finds drumming soothing and it helps them sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but and and after that it was yeah, my dad has a very good record collection and the first record that I remember listening to was uh, the Band of Gypsies record with Jimi Hendrix. I would sit there with the gatefold record in my hand and watching like this very vague pictures in there and i would like stare at them and see what's going on and listen to those uh, songs on the headphones sitting in front of the record player and yeah i still remember that very clearly uh, like being very little and just being hypnotized by uh by that albums i've heard someone else mention before that when it comes to your parents it's like your father introduces you to kind of you know the real rock sort of cool stuff whereas your mother introduces you to real sort of softer songwritery you know Fleetwood Mac rumors yeah yeah exactly was it like that for you yeah it was Fleetwood Mac rumors and uh David Bowie that was my mom's uh part and my dad was like Black Sabbath Led Zeppelin you know all the the classics you know every that everybody listens to Deep Purple I don't know all those things and you know what kind of music were you exposed to in your teen years by your peers and how do you think it molded you into the musician you are today uh well the first thing uh, that i was exposed to by friends was i think uh sepultura maybe uh, rise and uh, uh chaos a little bit later and like the first thing that really changed my you know where i really dove into was uh nirvana and uh you know in the like the early 90s right before uh uh, the died uh uh, there was like a big wave of grunge going on and uh i went to high school and uh there was a group of like uh, long-haired people sitting in the how do you say the bicycle uh storage place or they say the the sheds yeah, and uh, I saw them. I was like, "Yes, you are my people. You are smoking cigarettes and being very, uh, <laughs> very dark." So I hung out with them, and I just through them, I uh, yeah, I learned more about music. And then later on, I met the guitarist uh, for Richard Ford, who is still with me. Uh, I'm still very good friends with Harm, and. Um, yeah, he plays with me in Sutsay Orchestra now, so we've been friends for 25 years. And uh, I think through him and with him, we discovered hardcore, uh, like 80s hardcore bands, and just really dove into that scene. Speaking of the scene, what was the local scene like for bands when you were growing up? Yeah, it was very good. We had two punk bands called Facing Down and Off No Avail, and uh, they played a lot in our area. So uh when bands like no effects and lag wagon and all that era of epitaph bands was uh was happening they were playing a lot locally so we would really like uh, look up to them and um 
yeah, it was like a big scene. Like everybody was skateboarding, and uh, it was all we come from a very small town, so there was like from all the towns together, all the freaks came together and uh, were skateboarding, and uh, yeah, it was very very cool time to grow up. There's no cell phones, so it would, it would go have to go outside and meet everybody. Those were the days, huh? Uh, I think so. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what sort of steps did you take then to get into the music industry and start playing gigs yourself? Um, yeah, we started the band uh, Reaching Forward, and uh, that got picked up a little bit locally. And um, after that, because we were a straight-edge band, was what got drawn into that scene so it was uh yeah you just uh, the straight edge thing was in the mid 90s very big uh so we just uh were lucky to ride that uh wave a little bit you know and we're not super popular but i think we were at the right time playing uh uh good enough music to you know do do some little bit of touring and play out a little bit and uh that we just grew uh, as musicians and um after i uh, left reaching forward i joined born from pain and that was a little bit step up you know there was did, did some bigger touring and uh, did some touring in the in america and japan and uh, so yeah that, that grew a little bit uh, you know still not making money but you know we could see could see something of the world and uh, record some music yeah I always feel like there's this joke when it comes to musicians. It's like when you ask the devil to sell your soul, you ask for the fame but forgot to ask for the money. <laughs> so true. And yeah. you don't and you don't even get the fame. That's the shitty part. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And before we dive into your own concert experiences then that you've played, as a concert goer, what concerts do you think have made you? Oh yeah, well, I thought about this question because I knew it, it would be coming. But um, the first show that was very intimidating and um, uh, left a huge impression on me was seeing uh, the Exploited, a punk band from Scotland. Uh, I think in '95 or something, and uh, it was like the first show that we went to outside our local bubble. And we arrived at that small venue, and it was like. Uh, punks everywhere with mohawks and it was and we felt very you know overwhelmed by this we were like 14 15 without parents and um yeah and they started playing and the crowd went berserk and it was violent and it was just uh yeah i still every now and then think about that show and i'm going like oh fuck that was so cool <laughs> i was so like i know it was like dangerous and it was uh like in a like kind of a movie and uh it was scary and was happy when it was over because it was such intense yeah moment <laughs> jeez and uh how do the concerts you go to nowadays compare to it then oh they're not as violent <laughs> <laughs> i thought so <laughs> yeah lucky oh yeah well through the years i saw some really cool shows and um from very uh, diverse genre because i like uh, so many different genres but um i thought about that question but but i think the coolest thing i've ever saw was uh tom petty uh play and that was like i don't know it was probably one of the coolest things i've uh i've ever seen 
they played so well and uh yeah the whole vibe of that band on stage and him leading that band tom petty and uh yeah they were like such an oil machine but with great vibe and chemistry and was yeah that was it was magical oh i'd say so i have to ask now as a call back to something you said earlier on have you ever been to a happy concert <laughs> to a happy concert oh that's a good one um jesus i don't know maybe uh yeah well the most poppy thing i've ever seen was amy winehouse i don't know if that counts for happy uh it says she could be on the fence there yeah <laughs> i think that's the most like um mainstream big you know pop thing that i've ever seen and um, but that was also a very cool show and uh yeah because she had that thing back then it was like at the end of her period when she was playing and uh she was not showing up at shows and it was all over the radio like yeah amy winehouse has been seen in amsterdam and who knows maybe the show will go on and we were listening to the radio like oh fuck you know um, <laughs> and then we went to the show and everybody in the audience was talking to each other like okay she couldn't she's gonna perform she's gonna show up yeah and then she showed up and she was a mess you know her hair was a mess and she was just obviously uh, very intoxicated and constantly smoking a joint and uh but she was singing like so good it was so intense and that band was on fire and the concert was yeah it was she was like a superstar you know like very true like a true true pop star like i don't know janice joplin or Jimi hendrix uh yeah. she had that thing it's good to hear she uh she still had it even when she was at that stage of her career yeah yeah i was talking about my wife about it this morning like she said like what is your favorite concert and i was like yeah this and that and uh, amy winehouse and she said wow did you see them i was like yeah and it was good you know it was like a mess but it's some people say like like that jimmy henry's could throw a guitar off the stairs and pick it up and still play amazing you know yeah even was the guitar was out of tune or some people just have that gift of no matter what or what state they're in or what goes on you give them an instrument and they are magic you know like they're made for doing that yeah those those type of people though they're the icons i feel yeah did you ever um read that book uh, autobiography of slash from guns of roses not yet actually it's on my list is it uh, good? yeah yeah well yeah it's it's like any other rock and roll autobiography but the cool thing is that he writes about doing an overdose in paris and then eight hours later he's playing that show and <laughs> and that show was like really big broadcasted here in holland on uh, television so i watched that show as a little boy like hundreds of times and to now hear that he overdosed that same day and just got on stage and played for three hours and played like, like sick goodness <laughs> how is that possible you know that's the thing it's not possible you know only slash could actually do that <laughs> yeah 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 oh man <laughs> that, that's why you got the money and the fame huh? yeah exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> so for any of the listeners that haven't caught one of your shows then what can they expect um yeah what can they expect 
uh, no pyro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing the, the songs and I really try to dive into the vibe and um tell my story through the music and um it's a I also tried to do live a very dynamic show so I have like the hard stuff uh like the hard uh, rock songs but I also have some very small piano songs that I do live and some acoustic stuff and uh I try to really balance it out so um uh, every aspect of what I want to do comes across and uh yeah make it a make it a cool thing to watch so I have a, a guy that does the light plan and uh I bring a bring a, like uh, a crew is a big word but I bring a sound guy and a light guy and we have a plan for everything and uh yeah, I don't know I try to make it look good and uh give it a good vibe and I think that's uh yeah that's what I'm I try to do yeah yeah and how does it compare nowadays how do you feel about it being you know the main guy up there behind the mic instead of behind the kit <laughs> that's still different They're difficult I, I thought you'd say that yeah yeah it's it's because i've been doing drums for like 20 plus years so it's safe to have that uh that barrier between you and the crowd and um uh it's you know safe behind hiding a little bit maybe you know behind the drum kit and uh, just going i can let everything go and really dive into it and play from uh, from the heart and it's i find it difficult to relax a little bit when singing and playing guitar but i don't know um i think i you know, because i have played so many shows for so long that uh, maybe experience gets me through it a little bit better when i do it now than maybe when i've done it would have done it 20 years ago yeah yeah so i try to enjoy it and i do enjoy it because i think it's uh you know i obviously enjoy playing the songs and uh i take it uh not for granted that i'm able to do this and that uh, people enjoy it and uh, that i have people in my band that want to play my songs you know and make them their own and make it a group and uh really dive into it so yeah it's not something that i take for granted you know yeah yeah i get you i get you and in the past you you mentioned that you've toured america toward japan you shared stage with the likes of type o negative sepultura cc top pearl jam what gigs from your entire history now even ones you've played recently back to the start what gigs do you think have made you um Ooh. uh well the first things that i uh, really was impressed with doing was uh uh with i think with born from pain we did a tour uh with uh biohazard agnostic front hatebreed like a lot of uh, big i don't know if you know those bands but uh we did that tour and um that was like for you know big venue uh, venues and um i think that was really uh, overwhelming and uh i think um also mentally i was not ready to uh to do that as like coming from a small town and um uh yeah it was like uh, those were my heroes you know and uh yeah that was that was really cool and to play for huge crowds like on a professional you know professional uh, tour yeah that was uh, i never thought that i would go beyond the borders of holland so doing a tour european tour with 
my heroes was uh yeah it was very very cool and uh the point where i thought like okay wow did you know now it's okay this uh, I've, I've accomplished something and uh yeah try to enjoy it yeah and i'd love to know what do you learn when you're playing with bands at that level um not to do drugs (laughs) (laughs) get your shit together (laughs) yeah get your shit together and uh work hard i think uh so um the drugs part i had a little bit of difficulty of not uh accepting that rule (laughs) for a couple of years but uh yeah i know i think work ethic uh, i really got from the hardcore scene i still you know apply it to what i do today you know the do-it-yourself mentality and um not take things for granted and if you want something and you have to work for it and put in put in the work put in the hours even if you don't want to uh, i mean i don't necessarily like listening to my own vocals for weeks in a, in a row but if i want to make a record if i want to make songs then you know i have to uh, do the work and sit in my studio while i also could be doing other stuff but if you had to pick one gig in particular you've played that you would revisit over and over again as the perfect gig is there one that's the perfect gig um ooh. well i've played some very cool shows with uh with black bottle riot because that those guys we we clicked very well musically so we could jam and uh, like uh, improvise so I think we played some very, like a couple of very good shows um, that, that we walked off stage and looked at each other and say, okay, this was, uh, was this was very cool musically. Just uh, so yeah, we did we did a couple of shows here in uh, Nijmegen. There is a venue called uh, Doornroosje, and um, it's a le- pretty legendary venue. And uh, I think the first time we sold that venue out when we uh, did our uh, album release show the first album release show I did with them that night was uh, I think I walked off stage feeling uh, very fulfilled you know musically mm. and also because it was sold out and the, the place was uh, uh, ecstatic and um, yeah that was I think that gig if I think about it now and uh, yeah I would love to revisit that and as a fly on the wall you know yeah 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 sounds uh sounds like a pretty good one all right and not to get negative now but switch it around is there a gig that maybe didn't go so well and how did you overcome it um i think there was uh this is very shameful but i think there was one show in uh, in france with born from pain i played and I drank a whole bottle of Jack Daniels before we had to go on stage. Oh, man. I was very young. I was 20. Yeah? So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I was, uh, that was very, that was 20 plus years ago. So, um, but I'm still a little bit ashamed of it. And, uh, but I drank a whole bottle of Jack Daniels and had to go up uh, on the stage and it was a mess and, uh, people paid money to see that show. And, uh, I, uh, couldn't even do the double bass thing anymore. So, uh, I faked it through the whole show and it wasn't bad. At that time in my life, I was not uh, at my best. Let's uh, say that. But uh, yeah. Jeez, I'm surprised you didn't pass out across the snare drum or something. Yeah, me too. 
that's something you mentioned actually something you don't think about it you know we all imagine the rock star life you know the likes of even Jim Morrison from The Doors used to drink like bottles and bottles of whiskey before he'd go on stage. But you mentioned something there that doesn't really stick in your mind. People pay money for them shows. Yeah, it's a, I, that's a, that's a, that's a bummer, you know. If I, I if I would pay money to, and buy a ticket and you know work the whole week and uh, would, uh, for instance, I once got, went to see the Wu Tang Clan and um, tickets were like I don't know seventy euros or something like that. It's crazy. And um, everybody would be there. The whole Wu Tang was like promoted, except old Dirty Bastard because he's uh, you know he's not here. Um, so we went to the venue and we had to travel two hours, and they didn't show up. So and that was like, ah, what the fuck is this? So we, at, our train was leaving back at like a twelve or twelve thirty at night, and we had to catch that train. And the show was supposed to go on at nine thirty or something. And at 11, we went to the cash register and say, hey, we want our money back because this is not happening, right? And they said, no, nobody of the Wu-Tang Clan is in the building. They're all sitting in a coffee shop in Amsterdam, and they're too wasted to come to the to the venue. Oh, man. That <laughs> was like, I, I, you know, you you look forward to that kind of show. And, of course, Wu-Tang Clan is much bigger than yeah. any band I would ever be in. But um when when we talk about a show that you know going on stage drinking a bottle of jack daniels and not being able to you know play a show even if it's before 20 metalheads it's still those 20 people come to see you and uh you know it's uh it's disrespectful to do something like that i think true true yeah yeah especially because i'm not slash you know <laughs> <laughs> that's the other side of it <laughs> yeah yeah and, you know, to get a sense of your career now, you know, you're kind of with the album, it's like a one man kind of deal. How do you go about promoting it and getting your music out there and heard by new listeners? Do you think it's a a more challenging job nowadays compared to years ago? Yeah, I think so. It's very challenging because uh, there's access to everything and everything is quick and people listen to songs and people don't specifically maybe take the time to listen to an album or you know to listen to the craft uh, the of of making an album and uh when we first started out with the hardcore bands you just uh you know everybody was writing letters and making tapes and tape trading and uh doing fanzines so it was very i wouldn't say easy but uh, there wasn't not much out there so if you just uh working hard and you know mailing flyers and going to shows handing people flyers and uh, sending people demo tapes and stuff like that it was easier to promote music because people actually took the time to you know listen to a record for weeks at a time and now it's like i go on spotify and you listen to when somebody sends sends me like an album it's like hey listen to this i listen to the first song and if i don't like it i you know most of the time i don't listen to it you know and that's that's a shame because uh yeah um so it's difficult coming back to your question it's difficult um promoting or getting people to listen to my music also because uh i think that's the crappiest part of making music is to you know try to maybe hope that some people uh you know beg for uh i don't want to beg for anybody to listen to what i do you know uh, yeah, it comes organically, and uh, I can have uh, a cool conversation, for instance, with you about music, and somebody you know picks it up and maybe listens to the album, and 
that would be fantastic if that goes naturally, but I'm not going to, I don't know, force people or, I don't know, do some hardcore uh, commercial uh, buying advertisement stuff. And uh, no, I don't know. Yeah. No, I'd, uh, I'd be similar myself. What do you think of the likes of social media, specifically TikTok, where, you know, they'll play 15 <laughs> seconds of your song? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's more my kids doing that kind of stuff. Uh, I have a hard time dealing with Instagram and uh, I'm keeping it with, with, with the Instagram and I'm not going to do TikTok dances. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, if, if it means that, that nobody listens to my music, then hey, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm not going to sell uh, my soul uh, to some fucking social media crap or make handsome pictures of myself uh, or fake uh, stuff uh, to get likes or uh, I don't know. If I have 100 people on my Instagram account truly caring and uh, being into what I do, then I prefer that than over, you know, 10,000 people that uh follow me on instagram and don't give a shit really you know i don't yeah yeah exactly the thing about it is well is like with social media i kind of if i if i didn't have the podcast i don't think i'd be on social media apart from you know the obvious thing of it's so negative and everything but for a creator of any type i feel like it's super stacked against you you know the odds aren't in your favor at all like you mentioned the hundred people following you if you make a post or something it'll show to like five of them just doesn't seem fair at all you know no yeah yeah but like you said you have to if you're doing something creative like you with your podcast and you know you make something you know and you would appreciate if if some people listen to it you know because you know you don't make it for yourself or for your mother you know it's uh yeah. you make it for people that you want to share uh, your art with and uh, where you think we can make a connection because they're like-minded people and you think you can add something to their uh you know when i listen to your podcast you know i enjoy it and it, it's 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 i connect with it and that's a and that's a cool thing to reach but unfortunately you need social media these days because people are on the phone and you know looking uh, and you know connect with you to that even like old people like myself you know or... <laughs> <laughs> you're not that much older than me i'd say <laughs> yeah, we're young very young yeah yeah <laughs> and um before a show nowadays how do you get ready for it how do you psych yourself up before you go on stage and how do you calm yourself down when you come off stage um well i when i come off stage um that then well i always because i'm a very perfectionist so when i come off stage i don't like anything of it like i hate everything i thought everything was not good and i especially myself you know i think everybody else uh, did a good thing uh and, and but i don't feel confident at all uh, but i never had that i was always like something that i would focus on like oh well you know i don't know my guitar was a little bit out of tune so i had to tune my guitar or uh, I don't know. I said something very stupid through the mic, or uh, you know. But after a couple of days, then uh, I'm like, okay, you know, the vibe was good, and we played very well, and uh, maybe I could just be grateful to be able to do it. And uh, yeah, I think. But it always takes a little bit of time to get comfortable with the idea that uh, imperfection is also good, and 
that you can also just enjoy yourself without immediately setting the bar very high yeah yeah true some very good advice there yeah you can just enjoy life you know before you know it uh, you're not here anymore and uh, in the end you know you, do, you have to do it for yourself and not for attention or for anybody else and that's what that's what i try to you know say to myself and it's a, a lesson that i still have to learn of course but yeah and you know say you play a big show on a friday night or a saturday night goes perfectly you know you're kind of living in the moment of not so much the rock star vibe but you know it was the perfect perfect gig you get up saturday morning and it's kind of back to reality how do you deal with that well i have three kids so i'm quite (laughs) quite fast back to reality (laughs) good answer yeah yeah so i just make breakfast for everybody and um yeah i don't know i'm I think internally, I I still en- then enjoy it, and I ride that wave a little bit. I think about it a lot, like, okay, how can I improve this, or how can I improve that, or what kind of song should I maybe think about writing, or what direction can I do to, you know, add to the the color palette of songs that I already have, or uh, I'm just in my head is constantly thinking about new stuff and new ideas, and uh, I think. Um, playing live or doing even a rehearsal with the band triggers me like okay uh, I've got this going on and maybe I can go a little bit of this this direction and uh, take uh, influences from this a little bit and create uh, that so yeah I'm always thinking forward uh, with that and I try to do that as much as possible and not uh, you know talk crazy in my head like oh this this went wrong or that went wrong uh, yeah always look to the next thing Yep. And when it comes to your career, how do you measure success? Uh, yeah, well, it's a career is a big word for what I do, but and success also, uh, I think. But um, especially, you know, I think it's uh, in the punk scene where I come from is success. Of course, uh, I find that not this the correct word for the musical things that I've done, but mm. I, I, I. I really like it that I've played on records from the past that people come to me even now and say, hey, that album was for me such a cool moment in that time. And that made, you know, I've listened to that record back then a lot and it meant so much to me. Or um, that show that you played with that band was, oh, it was phenomenal and uh, it was a crazy night. And, uh, know sometimes that happens not a lot but uh and when it happens it's like people say that from the heart and uh i appreciate that and i think i always always also myself try to do that when i meet somebody that i've seen playing a show big or small that made an impression just you know say hey that was that was so cool and uh give people compliments about the art that they make and uh yeah try to pay attention to that because i know it's nice to hear to get a compliment and say hey you know i enjoyed that podcast or i enjoyed that show or i enjoy playing seeing you play guitar or i feel like you've kind of answered this question with that answer as well but i always ask in 30 years time when you're at the end of your music career you know my life (laughs) (laughs) you're looking back what needs to have happened for you to feel completely fulfilled and happy with it uh i want to be an old man still playing 
I want to, you know, keep playing music uh, in whatever form. If it's in a small rehearsal room with my body harm, playing the blues, you know, if I can just create and make music, that would be super cool. But for now, uh, the coolest thing that I have in mind the last couple of weeks was is like I would really do like to do uh, some more shows with Suitsayer and. Uh, and for some reason, uh, I have really in mind that I want to do like some shows in England. Ah. I know I've said that in the cosmos, like if that would ever happen, like a weekend thing or whatever, that would be super cool. That's it. It's like small things, but that would, you know, that's, uh, yeah. That's actually a nice segue into my next question. Your future plans. I was going to ask where are you plan on touring to support the record? Yeah, well, at the moment we're looking at uh, finding a, a, a good person to work with uh, when it comes to bookings, and that's uh, uh, a thing uh, because there's a lot of uh, um, a lot of fish in the sea, like bands. There's a lot of bands and people doing stuff, and there's a little, a few promoters out there that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a difficult time to find the right guy to work with to uh, get the right shows uh, going. Because I also don't. Uh, I'm very specific in what I want, where I want to play, and I don't want to play in a festival during the day. You know, it needs to be dark. It needs to be that kind of lighting. I need to do really can do my thing. Otherwise, if I'm going to stand there in broad daylight on some festival, you know, playing what I do, you know, yeah. It doesn't uh, work really. <laughs> no, it doesn't work at all. But I also uh, understand that having uh, demands like that, you know, or having uh, is is a difficult thing for a small uh, group like like uh, you know like we are like a uh, like the thing I do. So uh, I don't know. I'm positive about it, and I really want to uh, do it. So uh, you know, we'll see. It's in the it's all in the works now. Oh. Good to hear. Good to hear. I look forward to seeing what you do with it anyway. Yeah. And we'll uh, dive into the last couple of questions. So if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Uh, yeah, I think that would be Jimi Hendrix. With the yeah, with the band of gypsies, you know, in that formation with the Billy Cox and Buddy Miles. You know, those three guys on stage uh, playing those songs and jamming and being there, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, but also, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and maybe the Wu-Tang Clan in the original setting, you know, and, and when everybody was still alive, that would be also an act that I would really love to see. Pretty cool. You'd have to keep them away from the uh, coffee shops beforehand, though. <laughs> I think that would be hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not going to ever pay money for them. If if that would, you know, they would have to pay me to come see them to <laughs> yeah. make it to make it up with me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And if you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician or performer from history, who would it be? Um, yeah, I would really would like to sit in as a drummer for uh, Tom Petty when he was writing the Mojo record because that's uh, it's one of his later albums I don't know if you know it but uh, I wouldn't be so, too familiar 
All right, you should check it out. It's a really great record, and they have had a really cool thing going on then. And uh, that's a tour I also saw them uh, play. I would really like to be in a room, in a, in a practice room or a studio with that band as a drummer and just jam and play those songs and maybe write something and just hang out. And uh, yeah, that would be, yeah, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah, sounds like a pretty cool 24 hours. Yeah. Maybe smoke, smoke some joint, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes some pretty cool memories. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. And the final one: What song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Um, ooh, that's uh, also a good one. Uh, I think uh, the um, Body Miles song them changes and uh but then in the band of gypsies version so the band of gypsies played that song uh and uh that drums and the vocals and the guitars everything for that song you know if i ever die <laughs> <laughs> then they should play that song on the on the on the funeral because that's that song just captures everything that uh that follows me through my whole life. Uh, that's when that song comes on. It's just like you know, brings me back to a little boy, to you know, a teenager, to twenties, thirties, to to where I'm now. If that song comes on. It's just you know, flashback to my life or something. Yeah, has to be that one. So perfect. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it has been with me, you know, my whole life. Some records do that. You know, they stick with you. Some yeah. people have that with the Beatles or the Stones or you know. Yeah, I'm always saying I've said it multiple times on the podcast before, but there's albums or even certain songs that are linked to important memories in your life. And as soon as you hear the song, you'll be back in that moment again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's multiple songs that do that, especially I think with when you have a breakup with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Then when that song comes on the radio or you know comes by, you just instantly just you get that feeling or that you that smell again and yeah, that's it, that's it. But how magical is that? That music, you know, can that, do that music can do that, and I think that's the biggest compliment. You know, we talked about earlier about uh, uh, what you what you want, um, and that would be the biggest compliment if anybody ever says like, okay, your music got me to something you know maybe a heartbreak or a death or uh, happy things or whatever it was a soundtrack uh, that music was a soundtrack for that period in your in your life or and that's i think that's yeah the biggest compliment and the beautiful most beautiful thing about making music yeah i think that's the that would be like the perfect measure of success you know that would be the fame the money everything yeah I totally agree. Yeah, uh, all the fame, all the drugs, all the whatever is so empty. But you know, if somebody really feels and connects and spiritually, uh, you know, gets into your music, wow, that's that's a lifetime. You know, that's uh, yeah. wow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's some hippie shit. true true right peter it's been an absolute blast now i've really enjoyed diving into your music thanks a million thank you for having me man it's a absolute pleasure talking to you
But Tuesday is about to be your favorite day of the week. You bet. She's Jenny. And she's Caitlin. We're teachers, we're moms, we're friends, and we're funny. I mean, I certainly think we are. We're here to teach you what we had to learn and maybe save you some of the embarrassment. Absolutely. We discuss all topics from the serious to the silly. Things like how to improve your resume and cover letter, advocating for yourself when talking to your doctor, what to expect when you're getting Botox, or how to wash your face at night. And we can help you participate in that water cooler chat about sports and world events. And if you're feeling like your life is a mess, don't worry. We can relate. Yeah, we're not afraid to tell you all the mortifying and hilarious things about our own lives, professionally or personally. We're shameless. We're rated G. We're slightly crazy. Come hang with us. It's the CK and GK podcast. New episodes drop every Tuesday, everywhere you listen. Have you laughed today? Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey. Hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. 
We'll see you next time. We'll be here.